You're listening to the Beauty Brain Show, where real scientists answer your beauty questions. And now, here's Randy and Perry. Welcome to the show. I am the reticent Randy Schuler, and I'm here with my partner, the palaverous Perry Romanowski. By the way, that will all make sense when we get to iTunes reviews. So, <laughs> uh, excellent. I, I can't wait for that. Hey, Randy, how's it going? Good. I, actually, I think that's the first time we have teased an iTunes review on the show. Normally, we tease <laughs> the actual content. <laughs> we do. Hey, this is show what 151. 151. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we are the hardest working <laughs> podcasters in the beauty brains business, right? Are you reading last week's script? Because oh, you said the exact same thing. <laughs> Sorry. I just wanted to stress how hard we work. <laughs> Apparently, we don't work hard enough if we repeat ourselves. All right. Uh, are we going right into beauty science news now? Or do you have something that you'd like to share? What are we doing? Well, I, I have to say, uh, my wife was mad at me the other day. Oh. Um, well, because I lost my keys. I have this... I have this weird penchant for losing keys. Now, I, I, I've been able to find them, but does this ever happen to you mm-hmm. where uh, your wife will ask you to get something out of the pantry, and you'll look, and you swear that you looked everywhere, and you can't find it, and then she'll walk up to the pantry and move something, and it's right there. Does that ever happen <laughs> to you? Well, I, I can't really answer because the butler does most of that, so it's hard for me <laughs> right. to say. Well, uh, there's something in my brain where I have this, uh, maybe it's not an attention to detail, but... I swear, I looked through my golf bag, the entire thing, and I couldn't find it. And then I went back, and my keys are right there. So after I stressed about it for, for days. But it's just a, a quirk of mine is that I can lose things, and I can't find them even though they're right there. I'm wondering if we should lose this segment. <laughs> well, you wanted the banal chit-chat uh, that everybody loves so much. I'm always afraid of that. All right. Hey, what do we, what do we got on the show today? All right, we've got, uh, we're going to start off with some beauty science news. All right, Randy, let me take the first one, huh? Go. Here's a story that shows you the directions that the cosmetic market may be taking in the future. Beneficial microbes in your skincare products. Ah. Now, we all know that bacteria is typically not a good thing. (laughs) Um, You've just kind of raised that, right? right? And in fact, uh, we'll talk about some antibacterial soaps uh, in the next story. That's right. (laughs) Those are all designed to kill bacteria on your body. Well, scientists have recently been studying the surface of the skin and the microbial ecosystem, and they found that while there are some harmful disease-causing bacteria, of course, there's also good bacteria on your skin that can protect you from viruses, other bacteria, and other harmful microbes. Now, some marketers are getting ahead of the science here, in my estimation, <laughs> and they're, they're taking advantage of this new science news and creating uh helpful bacteria and probiotic cosmetics. So probiotics are kind of common in the food industry. And right. like most things that are popular in the food industry, the cosmetic they, industry they make is like, its way over. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if it's good enough to eat, it's good <laughs> enough to put on yourself, right? <laughs> there are a couple of uh, challenges to this technology, the least of which uh, uh, is how to talk about it, right? Mm. So do consumers really want to put live bacteria right. on your skin? And who, who wants to put bacteria on your body? So the experts in this field have suggested talking about the microbiome and then giving it kind of a positive spin. And I know I stumbled on this brand called Mother Dirt. 
Yeah, it's called MotherDirt.com, uh, and that is all about probiotic for the skin. The brand was started by these uh, university researchers, but it actually is a way to clean your skin with microbes. And then the products expire, and they don't have preservatives, and hmm. yeah, we'll, we'll see how they do. But they, they do claim that the products are preservatives-free, which is one of the other problems with these products because if you're trying to deliver live bacteria to people, you can't put a preservative in yeah, there because preservatives... Kill bacteria. Yeah. yeah, and they sort of non-discriminately kill bacteria, right? right? You don't purpose, you can't say, oh, kill the bad bacteria, <laughs> but leave the good ones Sm- A smart preservative <laughs> system, yeah. Well, most of the products that are taking advantage of this probiotic trend, they're not delivering actually live bacteria, though. What they'll do is have these deactivated probiotics. And then they claim that the ingredients will somehow boost the wellness of the resident bacteria. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It seems like a sketchy claim to me. And I don't know where all this is going to go. I mean, I think consumers still like the foam of surfactants. And of course, these products you can't—they can't really have surfactants. Um, they're, sort of, they're certainly got, not going to foam much because bacteria tend to die in surfactant systems. Mm. And it's also difficult to see like what great benefit you're going to get from them. I mean, they say it's for treating uh, eczema, acne, mm. those sorts of products. Uh, but you know, what do I know? Lots, lots of companies think this is the future of skin treatments, and maybe it is. But I'm skeptical. But we'll see later on that. Uh, a company as big as G&J uh, isn't as skeptical as me. <laughs> but before we get to that, why don't we talk about that big, big news in the beauty industry coming from the FDA? Yeah, I don't know if uh, our listeners already heard about this, but the FDA is further restricting which ingredients can be used in antibacterial hand washes and body washes. So we, you know, we've touched on this at least in once or twice in the past. Uh, you know, and over the last few years, uh, these antibacterial washes have really exploded. So the FDA has started to take a fresh look at them to make sure there are no issues. And, you know, first of all, they've found that these types of products don't really work all that well. In fact, the most recent article I read said there's no compelling data to show that they work better than regular soap and water. Right, but I, I think uh, you, you might want to say that differently because they do work. I mean, they, they clean your skin and right, you know, they but, work for what uh, yeah, they do. Okay, but. so there's no benefit over... Right. right. They don't work better right. than just right. washing. So, okay. So then why use it, right? Right. right. Uh, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. And then the second issue is that it looks like overexposure to these the ingredients in these products may cause some health concerns, although the data there is not conclusive either. Right? You're talking about uh, things like triclosan being an endocrine disruptor. So the data is not clear, but the FDA is doing the prudent thing. You know, if there's no right. real benefit and there, you know, there is some slight risk, then it makes sense to you know restrict the ingredients further. Now, if you were you know getting an incredible benefit out of ingredient and the risk is very low, then the equation looks a little different. But if it's not providing right. benefit, why would you why would you not take some action? So, it's it's kind of complicated. The new rule applies to uh, these wash products that contain one of these 19 different active ingredients. Now, the ones people know you know the most often would be triclosan, trichochlorban right. is another one. Um, the FDA is still looking at ingredients, uh, data for three other ingredients, so they're going to come back with that later. But for right now, this applies only to the wash-type products that are sold to consumers, so it does not include hand sanitizers, which are alcohol-based, and we know alcohol right. works to kill germs. That's different. 
Uh, and it also doesn't apply to the antibacterial wash products that are sold in for professional hair care use, like in hospitals, because those are different as well. So it's just your over-the-counter, like everything, right? It says antibacterial, right. hand soap, antibacterial, blah, blah, blah. Those are yeah. the ones getting restricted. You know, one of the other big concerns about just including antibacterial stuff in there is that you're going to get resistant bacteria strains, right? Right, the super bugs because right. you've used and, up, yeah. And we can get to a point where we don't have an ingredient that can stop the growth of some bacteria, yeah, which could be we're, terrible. We're seeing that now with limited uh, efficacy of antibiotics. So, so right. same basic and issue. So, yeah, so that's another reason that uh, these, these probably, there was pressure to, to get rid of these antibacterials. Exactly. So, so get, look to, uh, you know, it's interesting, though, why, why antibacterial products were so popular anyway. And it's just that consumers love right. that that claim because right. they were originally right? approved for like deodorant soaps where you'd use them under right. your arms and it would kill bacteria and that was it but now it's crept into like every product category that you use all over your body so the exposure is so much greater that's one of the the reasons that triggered this fda and right. reevaluation right. well people just wash your hands with soap and water and you're good there you go or wash it with microbes <laughs> Is this an all-microbe show? <laughs> it's, it seems like it. Now, this is just real quick. You know, this, the story that I mentioned about uh, microbes being the future sure. of skincare. Well, Johnson & Johnson has signed an agreement with a research company called Zycrobe mm -hmm. Therapeutics, and they're exploring how engineered bacteria can be used in personal care treatments. This company has uh, several bacterial strains uh, that they've raised, and they're convinced that they can treat things like acne, psoriasis, dermatitis, and eczema. Hmm. So, you know, the idea is that the good bacteria kind of wipe out the negatives right. of yeah, the bad bacteria. Competitive inhibition. Right, exactly. And, you know, the truth is that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know where this research is going, but the thing that I find interesting about it is that the cosmetic products that people use right now, they aren't really drastically different from the 1950s or 60s, yeah, right? right? I mean, um, there hasn't been a significant technological development in a long time in the cosmetic industry. But certainly these microbes would be a new it's a, technology. It's a different way of going about it. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, look for this to come out in your next anti-acne products uh it it might work better i don't know it'll probably work the same but <laughs> these these technologies hardly ever work as good as the marketing hype right all right well let, let's get off microbes uh yes, let me, let me change it up a little bit with a light-hearted look at citrus fruits and skin cancer oh so apparently, <laughs> apparently eating a lot of fruits like oranges and grapefruits and things can increase your risk of contracting melanoma. Uh, this was a, a study published in the Journal of Clinical Oncology. And it says that citrus fruits contain a couple of compounds, uh, uh, sorolins and furocoumarins, which can stimulate certain cancers when exposed to light. So the study looked at the diets of over 100,000 people over the course of four years. So this is a little more robust than most of the studies we talk about on the show. And after controlling for all other factors, the melanoma risk was found to be about 36 higher, 36% uh, higher in people who ate citrus fruits more than one and a half times a day. Wow. So, very interesting. I, you know, I'm, I'm sure it won't be long before some enterprising beauty company starts selling sunscreen in the produce aisle of the grocery store. <laughs> but, I don't know, interesting. I wonder if any of those... Uh, um 
you know, fear mongering groups are going to start coming out against <laughs> citrus, citrus products, right? Probably not. Probably not, because yeah, because that's natural. You know, right, <laughs> natural right. things don't cause cancer. Natural good, <laughs> synthetic bad. All right, uh, should we do another here? Let's do one more. All right. Uh, do we want to talk about soap or your selfies? Oh, do the soap. Do the soap. All right, let's do some soap. Now, remember Randy back in the 1990s when we were working at Alberto, Alberto Culver. It's defunct now, but you can still get the brands. I'll never forget. <laughs> Well, that is when body washes were first getting started. Sure. I remember when we put together the first, our first body wash mm-hmm. was essentially we just took the VO5 shampoo <laughs> and put the word <laughs> body wash on it. A little it. peek <laughs> behind the curtain there for everybody, but yeah, okay. There you go. Body wash isn't that much different than shampoo. Anyway, uh, what was interesting at that time, um, bar soap was the dominant product sure. in the washing category. Well, Things have really changed since then. Um, now, bar soap is seen as old-fashioned, mm. and, you know, Americans in the age range of 18 to 24, the millennials, mm-hmm. they just aren't buying it anymore. Mm. In fact, the only people really buying bar soap are um, men over the age of 60. <laughs> That's a great market <laughs> to tap into. Yeah, they, they still like it. They, they got their bar soap and their VO5 hairdressing. Uh, nice. <laughs> Well, according to a study published by Mintel, the overall market growth in soap, bath, and shower products has been 2.7%. So it's been positive, that category. But the sales of bar soaps have have slipped at the same time by 2.2%. It just turns out that young consumers and women just don't like traditional bar soaps. Hmm. And one of the reasons that millennials uh, say they don't want bar soaps is because they believe that they're covered with germs after using them. Oh, really? I just thought it would have been more practical. Like, the thing is like a sluffy mess on my shelf in the shower, and I don't like that. No, people think that, you know, after you use it, whatever's left there, you just got a layer of microbes right. just the, sitting in But the, the shower counter. poof they're using is perfectly fine. <laughs> I, guess, I guess nobody thinks of that, right? <laughs> And, you know, there is some, uh, some health authorities, like the Minnesota's Department of Health, is actually suggesting that people should use liquid soaps because germs can grow on the surface of bar soap and spread infections. That just seems an incredible claim to me, right? Yeah, I'd like to see the data on that. We do know, I, I was kidding about the shower poofs, but you, we do know those will grow bacteria, mold, fungi, and you're supposed to change those out every, you know, couple months or whatever. I don't know if yeah. people really do, but for that's, how, that's how often, proven. How often are you supposed to change your running hats? Because I've got this white <laughs> running hat that has turned pink, and I'm <laughs> not sure what the pink color came from. <laughs> that's, uh, well, it's either some dye leaching out of something that's in the hat, maybe, or it's, it, that's the traditional color of, uh, I think, salmonella, when you, when you get that growing. I think that's pink. Really? I believe. Uh-oh. I better put that thing in bleach. <laughs> well, anyway, I know that big companies would prefer people to buy liquid soaps, right? Because um, the profit margin on like a liquid detergent is just so much higher sure. than just a bar soap, sure, right? Yeah. So, so that's an interesting change. Um, I think I don't think soaps will disappear, but they might go the way of uh, like the artisans, and you'll get them mm. at like farmers markets. Right. But there sure won't be a lot of uh, space left in the. Uh, store aisles for bar soaps if millennials don't buy them. Uh, you may be right, or you may just be aimless, aimlessly speculating, but only time <laughs> well, you know, will I, tell. I, I, 
I have been employed as a futurologist. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that that's on your business card. All right. Hey, Perry, it's time to move on to our cosmetic questions. All right. Can't wait. The first one comes to us from listener Jess. Hey, Beauty Brains. Listener Jess here. Just saw an ad for the Tresemme Beautiful Volume System. Is there really something to conditioning first and then shampooing? Or are they just convincing us to wash our money down the drain? As a side note, just wanted to correct Perry's pronunciation of the organism that was in the baby shampoo. It's Serratia marcescens. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Jess. Uh, first, let's address this point about Perry's proper pronunciation, because that's kind of, I find, to be an ongoing source of amusement. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. You know, she's referring to a beauty science news story from way back in episode 119, where Perry talked about the deadly bacteria found in one brand of baby shampoo. Do you remember that? I, I, re I do remember okay. this. Yeah, right, it's so, tragic. So let's... Li <laughs> it's, it is tragic, but that's not stopping us from exploiting it for <laughs> amusing podcasting. Or are you giggling about it? <laughs> uh, so, so we just heard Jess pronounce it appropriately. Let's now listen to Perry's pronunciation. The problem? Harmful bacteria in the product. Uh, they say it is polluted with serrate marcensens. Serrate marcensens. Serrate marcensens. Okay, so there you go. You got I, it now? I mean, it sounded pretty close, right? <laughs> All right. Anyway, sorry. Now, now back to Jess's question. Hey, that's my Chicago yeah, accent. There, oh, there you go. There you go. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the process of reverse washing, just in case our audience isn't familiar with the practice. This is where you take a product that's typically applied after shampooing, like a conditioner or some kind of oil, and then you apply it before you shampoo. The idea is that the shampoo will remove the quote, excess materials and leave behind, you know, just enough stuff on your hair to give you conditioning benefits, but without giving you that heavy feeling residue that some conditioners can provide. So this is targeted primarily towards those people with thin, fine hair and those people who don't want to lose volume when they condition. Yeah, here's how their, the Tresemme website describes it. Introducing new Tresemme Beautiful Volume Collection, a revolutionary new reverse wash hair care system. Using conditioner after you shampoo can weigh hair down and leave it flat. Tresemme Beautiful Volume Reverse System is a game-changing regime that regimen, 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 <laughs> yeah, a game-changing regimen that gives your hair amazing body and bounce. Condition first to soften, then shampoo to wash away the weight. You know, you might pre-read the script just to work out <laughs> vocabulary issues. Just a suggestion, not telling then, you how to do then, your job. No, no, but then we can't have the audience mock my pronunciation. <laughs> I don't know if they do, but I do. Uh, okay, so, so that's what the website says. Now, this is different from other techniques we've talked about on the show before. You know, this is not co-washing. Right. This is not no poo. This is kind of right. this more... Is, this is full poo. It's, well, it's, it's full poo. How is it? No, it's like pre-poo, right? You're doing something before you poo. Exactly. Uh, and this isn't a new idea. In fact, one of the most iconic products in the entire hair care industry, VO5 Hot Oil, is a pre-poo conditioner. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure everyone realizes that. In fact, I don't even think the marketers that sell the product fully understand that, but that's true. Yeah, I don't think the people using the products ever knew that either. True, true. And, you know, we've talked about coconut oil quite a bit before. You know, that's typically used this way as well. You apply it to your hair, you let it soak in, and then you wash it out. Right, but 
Tresemme is the first major brand to market a companion shampoo and conditioner to be used in this way. So what have they done different in these formulas? Well, I mean, technically they, they haven't really done much differently. If you look at the ingredients for the new beautiful volume products, you'll see that the shampoo is based on our old friends, sodium laureth sulfate and cocamidopropyl no, <laughs> betaine. Now, wow. those are two, if, if not the two most common ingredients used in shampoo, certainly very common. They also use a little bit of guar hydroxypropyl trimonium chloride. That's a, a conditioning agent used in moisturizing sure. shampoos. So if you look at their moisture-rich shampoo ingredient list, you'll see that they're almost identical on the ingredient list. So I'm assuming they've tweaked things a little bit, but it's, sure. it's the same basic technology for the shampoo. Right. And if you look at the pre-wash, this is based on a cetyryl alcohol dimethicone behine trimonium chloride, and it has some amodimethicone which is very similar to their healthy volume conditioner <laughs> yeah. formulas. So the products aren't really that different, at least according to my reading of the ingredient list. Now, does this mean that the reverse washing is just a scam? Well, no, I mean, not really. You know, there are two ways. Even though they're using the same basic formulas, they have done something clever with the application technique. So I think there are two ways that reverse washing can provide a different experience for consumers. Now the first has to do with how much stuff you're leaving behind on your hair. Remember, conditioners work by depositing lubricating agents on the surface of your hair. So, you know, in a sense, and you, you've said this before, conditioners are putting clean dirt on your hair, right? <laughs> exactly. Think of it that way. So when you do that, the shampoo then has to work harder than usual to get rid of that extra clean dirt. So the shampoo, some of the, of the cleansing sort of gets used up a little bit by the combination of the the regular dirt on your hair, and the conditioner residue. All right. And second, you have to realize that shampoo and conditioner ingredients are s sort of magnetically opposite, right? Yeah. And what I mean by that is that shampoo surfactants tend to be anionic, which means they have a negative charge, and many conditioning ingredients are cationic, which means they have a positive charge. So it's possible that the positively charged material on your hair from the conditioner could cause the negatively charged materials in the shampoo to also deposit on your hair. And that's exactly what happens uh, with the VO5 hot oil. And in fact, I remember uh, going on desk side visits to beauty editors, and we actually did this experiment where you would take a, a hot oil solution, take a shampoo, you mix them together, and you see it forms this uh, sort of this gloppy conditioning right. it's a pretty cool yeah. it's a pretty cool demo i'd forgotten about that yeah so this this complex that you just described that you see and uh, you would see the same thing with certain shampoos and conditioners that's called a cat and wax from combining the cationic and anionic material these waxes of course will vary depending on what time of conditioning agent what you know what the strength of the cleansers are in the shampoo but when this kind of complex is formed it's less soluble than either of its components, so it tends to sort of just fall out of solution and stay on the hair. Exactly, and if you're following the Tresemme instructions, which tell you to completely rinse the conditioner before applying the shampoo, then I'd be surprised if you'd feel a tremendous amount of interaction between yeah. the two products, right? But I did find one popular beauty blogger who says the secret to reverse washing is to not rinse the conditioner. <laughs> she uses the shampoo to remove the conditioner. And if you follow these instructions, you could end up with, you know, quite a lot of deposition. Yeah, it's interesting. Of course, we would never recommend um, using a product um, inconsistent with the manufacturer's use instructions. 
but right. it, it just is interesting that she used it this way and got great results. When she followed instructions, she didn't get the right results. So, you know, if you're the experimental type, you might you might find yourself playing around with that. Now, um, it really depends on the nature of the formulas, right? It's you know what's in the products, how much you use, exactly how you apply them. You're, you know, you're going to see a wide range of results. Right. How much you rinse right, is going to affect right, that right. too. So yeah. okay, so that that's kind of the, the the basis of this. What's the bottom line for Jess? Well, I think the thing is, Jess, reverse washing it's really a thing, but you shouldn't spend a lot of money on special products. Uh, you might experiment with your regular shampoo and conditioner before rushing out to buy something new. But if you like the approach, the Tresemme products are worth a try because they've presumably been optimized for this method of application and. Really, they're not that expensive. Seems very reasonable. There you go. All right, we have another question. Okay, this one comes to us from Boom, and Boom asks, The internet told me that if I rub banana peel on my acne and acne marks, that it will help soothe and diminish them. Is there any truth to this? There is loads about this on YouTube. <laughs> so it must be true. Right. Uh, well, actually, you know, we know that banana peels are rich in vitamin A, and, and that is a proven treatment for acne. So, yeah, I would say absolutely. Rubbing banana peels on your face is probably the best natural treatment for breakouts. Well, hang on, Randy. <laughs> just because banana peels contain vitamin A, that doesn't mean you can just rub them on your face to get rid of zits. Oh. I mean... Let's, all right, let's break this down. Vitamin A is a group of chemicals, and it's not one single compound. So what kind of vitamin A is good for acne? Well, those are the, the retinoids, like you know, retinol, retinoic acid. All right. So do bananas contain vitamin A in the form of retinoids? Not exactly, but they, they, <laughs> well, wait, they contain beta carotene, and beta carotene can be converted into retinol. So I, you know, I think this would work. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Let's put on our science hats here. So how does beta carotene, how's it going to get converted to retinol? Well, your science hat has a, a pink rim around it, so you're less than <laughs> credible. But, well, how does it get converted? Well, there, actually, there's an enzyme in the digestive tract of, of some animals, like herbivores, that can convert beta carotene into retinoids. Like when they eat it. Yeah, exactly. Huh? All right. Yeah. But, yeah, so can humans convert it? Well... No, humans don't have that enzyme. Oh, and it can be converted when applied topically to skin then? Well, I, I couldn't find any data proving that it could, but you know, I can't prove that it can't either. So maybe all that beta carotene and banana peels really does end up as retinol that could fight acne. Then it would work. Uh, uh, all right, maybe. But assuming there's enough of the active ingredient... You know, how much beta carotene is going to be in banana peels? Like, how are you going to see an effect? Well, I, I looked this up. There's actually about 150 micrograms of beta carotene per gram of banana peel. There you go. I, I must say, this is a, one of your greatest strengths is your fastidiousness to <laughs> details and your ability to research. Much better than your uh, slacky uh, co-host. <laughs> All right, wait a second. So the average banana peel is probably, what, about 10 grams? Yeah, close, so, sure. So if you rubbed... Two banana peels on your face, that would give you about, what, 3,000 micrograms um, of the beta carotene, of which about 0 0.003 grams, uh, you know, is beta carotene, right? So if all of the beta carotene converted to retinol, you'd have, what, 0 0.003 grams of retinol, right? Nobody wants to hear you do math on the podcast. <laughs> all right, all right, well, 
well, okay. Uh, just but answer that question. Was uh, I right? Uh, okay, fine. If you work it out that way, yeah, you'd get about 0. 0.003 grams of retinol. So now, just rubbing the peel is not going to release all of it, but you know how much is reasonable? What, what probably half of it, maybe? Yeah. All right. I guess let's take you, you squeeze the peel. Let's say you get out, yeah, half of the total vitamin A. Okay. So you end up with maybe 0. 0.0015 grams of retinol on your face if everything goes right, yeah, right? Oh, okay, fine. And uh, you know, like in a regular retinol acne treatment, how much do, do those contain? Uh, typically about a percent retinol, and you're putting a you know a couple grams of the cream on your face. So maybe you know one percent of five grams. Maybe you're getting 0. 0.05 grams of retinol. All right. So even if all of the vitamin A in a banana peel gets converted to the correct form, which we know it doesn't, and even if you could get all of the vitamin A out of the peel and onto your skin, which we know you can't, then you'd still have only about 0. 0.0015 grams of banana versus 0. 0.05 grams in a cream, right? Okay, what's your point? Uh, well, so the vitamin A from banana peel is at least 30 times more dilute than when it's used in a cream, and that's really the best case scenario. In fact, it's probable that you'd have much, much less than that. So are you still going to sit here and tell us that you think rubbing your face with banana peels is a good idea for acne? Well, but according to your calculations, if you rubbed 60 banana peels on your face, then it might work. <laughs> ah, that's great. You know what this reminds us? The banana talk reminds me of. Um, there's, a, there's a song called Banana Phone. Ring, 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 banana phone. It's by Rafi. It's great. If you follow me on Musical.ly, um, I'm the joggler. I've done a little riff on the banana. Wait, you are now plugging your personal musical preferences on some sketchy site? What is that? No, there's a... Man, all the kids are are with it, man. It's called Musical.ly, and you sort of do little bits, little video bits Mm -hmm. of yourself, uh, you know, citing lines from movies or songs or something. You're thinking of Vine. No, no, this is called Musical.ly. Okay. My, uh, my eight-year-old niece told me about it, so now <laughs> Great. Okay, everybody. Listen to the advice of Perry's eight-year-old niece. Hey, can you get your eight-year-old niece to write us a on, uh, review on iTunes? <laughs> no, but we had some people who did write reviews on iTunes, so why don't we go ahead and read some of those? All right. Uh, Googler Stew says, both Perry and Randy are knowledgeable, have great chemistry with each other, pun intended, <laughs> And care about the public. Only critique, I wish we knew more about the elusive Randy. Has he ever tried joggling? What is his favorite long-named cosmetic ingredient? And what does he like to read? Does he appreciate wild animals? The lack of personal information the dial makes the dialogue a bit like an effective half-head test, and it's quite lopsided. Yes. I love I love the half-head test. Uh, although I think Googler Stew is just a... Uh, uh, a Perry poser. All he's doing is just citing all the things you like and then laying on the top of me. It doesn't work that way, Stu. And there's no truth to the fact that I wrote that one. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, Asair2139 says, The Beauty Brains approaches beauty from the side of science, and it has saved me money and made me smarter. Some people right. complain about their banter, but I think they found the right mix of fluff and hard science to make the podcast fun and substantive. Oh, that's excellent. That's nice. Robert from Canada, our international listeners, a bit of a drag on those quiz things, but the tighter <laughs> format is much better. It's much better on my patients and my ears. Really would like more product reviews. I swear by the brand Live Clean. I would love your feedback on it. Who makes it any inside info? 
Well, I'll tell you what, we don't, we don't normally do this, but I actually did take a look at this, so maybe we can kind of just spring off this uh, iTunes review into kind of a mini question. Oh, uh, sure, sure. Because I want to give Robert some, some feedback. So the quick answer is, I, I didn't get a, a great feeling about this company and, and their brand. So the company doesn't list ingredients on their website or anywhere else that I could matter. Well, that, uh, that's a huge red flag. Um, right, here, it's unsettling. Well, here's yeah. a brand that's promoting itself based on the being green, Yet they don't tell right. you what's in their products. So isn't that a little suspicious? Like they, they should give <laughs> you that information. Strange. Now, um, another thing I do whenever researching a company I don't, don't know about is I go to their website and usually look for, you know, first of all, like an about tab, which, you know, in this case was sure. really just marketing information. But if you go to the bottom indices, you'll see like legal information. You can usually get to like who owns the company, what's the name of the corporation, so you can trace that back and learn how big the company is, are they publicly traded, all sorts of things, right? Right, right. Um, well, in this case, I go to the legal footer, the link doesn't work, <laughs> so, <laughs> which I, I thought was very strange. So all we know from the background on the page is that it's proudly a Canadian brand and Live Clean launched with the premise that hair care products should be environmentally friendly, highly effective, and a pleasure to use. And then they give us the standard information that they don't use SLS and SLES because these are derived from um, petrochemicals. Uh, in reality, you can also buy SLS from derived from coconut oil, so they're being exactly, misleading yeah. there. Right. Um, they're against parabens, and we know the best data to date say that parabens are okay. So there's, it seems like they're spewing kind of the standard misinformation. There's not much on their website to tell you really anything about them to help you make a really an unbiased decision. So I, personally, I just didn't get a great feeling about the company, Robert. Yeah, well, but if you like them, you know, go more power yeah, to right. you. Yeah, right. We're not going to tell you what to not buy. I, they should probably clean up their website and list your ingredients, yes. companies. Jesus, please, <laughs> please Perry, such language. Sorry, I didn't. Ma I didn't mean to make this religious. <laughs> All right, let's. All right, uh, how about our last? Yeah, question? Yeah, we're running a little long here, but that's okay. Let's get to our last question that comes from Sarah, who says. I read that wearing liquid foundation over sunscreen dilutes your sun protection. My take on this would be that you may be moving your sunscreen around a, a little bit while applying foundation, but it's unlikely you're removing it all together. Where would it go? I'm not going to lose any sleep about this, but I'd be curious for your take. Well, you know, we can think of a few reasons why this might be plausible. Uh, first, if you apply foundation over sunscreen before the sunscreen has a chance to form that proper film, then that's going to cause a problem. Sure. So you'll uh, this could disrupt the emulsion to the point where you lose coverage. So you should really wait about 15 minutes before you put anything on top of your sunscreen. Yeah, we've we've talked about the research studies that show that if you have any gaps in your coverage of sunscreen, then you don't get good protection. So this this could certainly disrupt that. Um, Secondly, you know, you, you may consciously or, or unconsciously use less sunscreen than you need to if you know you're applying, you know, another product on top of it. Because so, I'm not putting that much stuff on my face. So you might kind of back off on the sunscreen, which obviously right. would be a bad thing. Hmm. On a related note, you know, perhaps whoever wrote uh, was referring to makeup that contains SPF. Hmm. Some people think that SPF is additive, but it's not. Uh, so SPF 50 plus SPF 15 does not equal SPF 65. Right. At best, you'll get an average of the two, which is which in this case would be an SPF uh, 57.5. Some, yeah, something like that. So yeah, if if you're if you are layering SPF with SPF containing makeup and you're expecting them to add up, then you would be diluting them, I guess, in that concept. That's diluting, not diluting. That's another problem <laughs> altogether. 
Well, that's called uh, alveolar flapping. Uh, pardon me? When you a- say Alveolar what? <laughs> alveolar flapping. Oh, okay. When you say a word like diluting, like diluting, mm-hmm. that's alveolar flapping. It's very common with Americans. Oh, welcome to the Grammar Girl podcast, everybody. <laughs> I learned that on the Grammar Girl I figured podcast. figured as much. <laughs> All right, Perry, we are out of time. Are we doing a, a book plug oh, today? Darn. Well, if, I guess if I have time for a book plug today, I can, I can tell you about uh, the, the recent book that I read okay. uh, called Will It Fly hmm. uh, by, by Pat Flynn. And this is a, an audio book that I got from audible.com. And if you want to get a, a free audio book from audible.com, you can just go to our link, audibletrial.com slash beautybrines. Br- <laughs> the the wow, salty beauty brines. <laughs> That that could be a new. Uh, new <laughs> well, anyway, it's audibletrial.com/slash/beautybrains. Uh, go sign up there for and get a free book and a, a one month free, and uh, then you can help out the beauty brains. Um, and of course, you can cancel at any time. But with thousands of titles, you you probably won't why, want why to. Why would you but cancel? You wouldn't. No. I I don't know. I know I I've read over forty books this year alone. Uh-huh. Um, and the one I was telling you about, uh, Will It Fly, tells you if you have a great idea for a product, hmm. it, it, lets, it has a whole system which teaches you how to decide whether that's a good idea or not. Oh, well, so. go test the beauty brine for some new salt <laughs> preservation system, see if that's a good idea. All right, thank and you. And for, for our audience members, go to audibletrial.com slash beautybrains and try it out today. All right, there you go. Well, thanks, everybody, for sitting through another bombastic episode. We'll be back next week with more beauty science news and more of your questions. And until then, remember, be brainy about we'll make your a difference. No, oh. be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>